what are we standing up for? The ability, the freedom to do what's right as God defines that right. God's the ultimate author of liberty. We don't want government to stand between us and our freedom to do what is right. What is next for America? We are definitely at a crossroads. Something has to give. There's going to be change. What is it going to look like? Is America going to change to the point where it's not even the America that our forefathers thought it would be? This is a big discussion today uh, amongst politicians, amongst professors at universities, uh, amongst uh, think tanks, and uh, everyone has their own idea from the left and from the right. Nobody really um, is saying that we just need to hold fast and, and keep the original intent of the Constitution in our governing principles. Everyone is kind of letting loose and saying it can't go like it, like it ha is continuing to go. We're at the point of uh, civil war or, or civil breakup. And so I thought we would discuss today on episode 19 of the Bible Nation podcast, The Next America. I'm Doug Levesque. With me today is Pastor Jason Georges from Emmanuel Baptist Church. We love talking to you about uh, modern issues, issues that are um, connected, we think, to the scriptures. And so we always use the motto, the best culture is a Bible culture. It's proven and it works. Hello, Pastor Jay. Welcome to episode 19. I can't believe we're almost done with three seasons of uh, podcast. No, this has been great. Yeah. It's been a great exercise, great discussions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think if you were to, we were keeping a scorecard, some of our early episodes have now, uh, prognostications have now become realities. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should have the we scoreboard. Need, we need to have a scoreboard. And then self-inflate ourselves. Right. But uh, listen, some of the stuff that we say is going to happen, I don't want it to happen. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, some, yeah, some yes. of it is from a biblical understanding and a biblical warning. Right. Um, and, and yet we always keep our joy. We always have a joy in Christ. Uh, we are patriots. We love America. We think that there, it's connected to our Bible culture. And that's what we're really trying to preserve. And mm -hmm. so those of you listening, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, let's talk about the next America. As America gets farther away from its founding spirit and documents, more people are talking of a different type of American culture and government, and it's being promoted now from every side. In other words, it's not just a leftist conversation. And so um, I thought we would look at at least a couple of things that, that, that I perceive uh, that are happening in society today. The first one is, is, uh, has been going on a, a long time. It kind of go, goes along with revisionist history. Mm -hmm. And that is reinterpreting the Constitution. And so, in other words, when the Electoral College, right, people want to reinterpret the Electoral College and, and how it can work in a different way, or do we really need it? Is that a portion that's, that's mandatory? Um, some people want to say they want to change the age limits or the term limits of what's in the Constitution. They want to kind of reinterpret it. Other people say, well, we can use the amendment process, and it's been used. And there's some of the amendments that people love and some that, that, mm -hmm. that people hate, right, that, that almost do reinterpret the Constitution. Today, when we talk about the First Amendment um, and the right to free speech, well, some on the left would say, well, no, you can't speak hateful, even though they speak hateful, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and, and yet we say, no, no, speech is not a crime. And even the emotion behind a speech is not a crime. But crime is crime. If violence is done, it's a crime. It doesn't matter what's behind it, whether someone was drunk or whether they were jealous or whether they were in love. You know, um, that doesn't make an excuse for their crime, right? If you love someone and you rob a bank to get them money to buy them a car because you love them and your crime is motivated by love, well, that's an emotional motivation. So what's different about hate? Why is that a, why is that a crime? Well, that's mm -hmm. because they want acceptance 
above all, and they want to reject the tenets of the scriptures and the fact that our God hates some behaviors. Right. <laughs> right? That's kind yeah. of what it's about. And our founding fathers knew this, and they actually talked about kind of the why they didn't want the idea of hate crime. They actually used those phrases uh, in there. And so there is this concept of, you know, reinterpretation of the Constitution. The Heritage Foundation in, in Washington, D.C. Pastor Jay, have you ever been to the Heritage Foundation? Yeah, I think I've been, you've been, I'm to in, I'm in the there. lobby there. Yeah. I, I was actually attended a lecture or yeah. a, a brief yeah. in one of their conference rooms before. Yeah, it's cool. So they, they produce, uh, the Heritage Foundation, they, have, they produce a lot of good materials and books through the years. Um, but they actually have an article online about interpreting the Constitution. And, um, and so I'm just going to read you the mm -hmm. first paragraph. The Constitution is the American people's rule book for government and therefore must be actively applied and defended to ensure that government does not get out of control. Many people probably think that only lawyers can understand the Constitution, but that's not true. The framers wanted people to read and understand the Constitution. The text of the Constitution was widely read and vigorously debated by just about everybody in this country at the time, and it was proposed and sent to the states for ratification. Reading and understanding the Constitution is just as important today as it was then. The three guidelines show the proper method for interpreting the Constitution. The first guideline is that the Constitution is a written document. In that sense, it is like a note to a friend, a contract to buy a car, a college exam, or a grocery list. Every time we handle something written by someone else, we first read the words and then try to figure out what the author meant by what the author wrote. This basic method applies when courts interpret laws enacted by Congress or state legislatures. Statutory construction is, quote, the process of determining what a particular law means so that a court may apply it accurately. The second guideline is more specific. Back in 1795, the Supreme Court said that the Constitution can, quote, be revoked or altered only by the authority that made it. What is that authority? The Constitution's first three words provide the answer. We the people, mm -hmm. it says, to ordain and establish this Constitution. They did this in two stages. The first occurred May 25th and, and September 17, 1787, when states sent delegates to Philadelphia to write it. Second, each state held a convention to decide whether to ratify or approve the draft constitution. Those ratifying states were the authority that made the constitution the supreme law of the land. Amendments that became part of the constitution go through the same two stages, proposal and ratification. The third guideline concerns how to know what we the people meant by the words of the constitution. The most important thing is to keep the goal of interpretation always in mind, determining what the author meant by what the author wrote. Interpreting Constitution, therefore, requires figuring out what the people who established or amended it meant by the words they put in it. Robert Bork said, any defensible theory of constitutional interpretation must demonstrate that it has the capacity to control judges. In other words, if you don't control the judges and their interpretive theories and process, then you might, not, might as well not have a Constitution. Right, because it's just their opinions and their sympathies. Uh, this is why... Um, leftists outside of the country, George Soros, a.k.a. George Soros, is funding affecting courts, judges, and prosecuting attorneys. Uh, this interpretive approach is sometimes called originalism because it focuses on the Constitution's original meaning as determined by the authority that made it. This job can be challenging for several reasons. The main body of the Constitution and most of its amendments, for example, were ratified a long time ago. Constitutional language can sometimes be unfamiliar or awkward to the reader. I thought... Uh, Heritage Foundation did a good job on that and and how really it's it's a model for other nations on how their courts function with their own constitution. No, and I, I like how Bork is referencing it, it really boils down to how these judges are going to practice their duties. Yeah. And it's not about them interpreting the, the constitution. 
It's about them applying the rule of law yeah. to the situation. Yes. So they, they're, what they're judging mm -hmm. is the situation, the crime, the offense, or whatever. Yeah. And then they're applying agreed upon interpretation right. of the Constitution and the rule of law mm -hmm. to that situation. Right. That's what they're judging. They're not judging the validity of the Constitution right. or, or, or what, 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 what was meant by it. Right. So when he says originalism, this was the rule until the post-World War II. Yeah. So this, is, this was the rule of how you interpreted the Constitution. So we really didn't have a huge problem, although there were discussions. But today... It's, a, it's culturally iconic to challenge the originalism because of who wrote it right. at the time and then try to change what they meant. And so this is you know, something we would never uh, agree with. We, we don't want, say, Muslims interpreting the Bible for us. Right. You know, I love it when liberals or atheists or abortionists or whatever kind of come back and quote some scripture at me. And I go, oh, thank you. Thank you for opening the Bible because now I read the Bible. Mm -hmm. I know what it says. And you who don't read the Bible don't know what it says. Let's really clarify it for you. Right. In other words, it's easy to respond to that when they like to say, well, doesn't the Bible say? Yeah, yeah. And then they kind of want to yeah, interpret themselves. Yeah. Don't use, you're not going to use the Bible as a, as a hammer against yeah, me. Thank you yeah. for interpreting yeah. that. I just, yeah. You just shot yourself in the foot. Right. And, um, and so, you know, anybody born or in, in you know, judicial rhetoric, you know, post-World War II, believed this and understood this, but it's only in modernity. The Pew Research Center, reputable Pew Research Center, uh, has an article called um, Americans Divided on How the Supreme Court Should Interpret the Constitution. So in other words, we the people, which could be interpreted as, um, in, you know, they're not interpreting it as the people at the time, what they meant. They're interpreting it as themselves, right? And uh, they go on to say that... Um, Democrats and Republicans remain deeply divided about how the U.S. Supreme Court should interpret the Constitution according to a new analysis by the Pew Research Center. And there are many differences amongst demographic groups, especially when it comes to religious affiliation. About half the public, 49%, say the decisions of the Supreme Court should be based on uh, its understanding of what the Constitution means in current times. Mm. While roughly as many, 46%, say decisions should be based on what the Constitution meant as it was originally written. So originalists are now the minority. Right. This article came from like 2014, 2015. So who knows where it's at today? So there it's an is an interesting graphic they have there. Yeah. Isn't that isn't I mean, it? because it, it just basically lays out what is the distinguishing character difference between conservatives and liberals. And so it's it's identity politics right. is what it is. It's identity politics that really divides that. And so people say, well, we the people means us today. And now that we're in the majority, you know, forget the electoral college or forget what was originally meant. What does, for instance, the right to bear arms um, in a well, what does it say, well-ordered or fashion or whatever. So they're going to say that's only the um, National Guard, not individual rights. And so if you're mm -hmm. part of the National Guard, you can bear a weapon under the auspice of the National Guard. But if you're not, you can't bear a weapon. And so gun rights have changed since 1950 based upon this idea of reinterpreting the Constitution. And that goes all the way down to what is marriage then and what is religious liberty, et cetera. It's, it's funny looking at their charts here. According to them, the more educated you are, the more you are willing to change the Constitution. Isn't that insane? Which, which doesn't mean education, you're, like you're smarter. It just means you've been indoctrinated. You've been indoctrinated more by these institutions that you've yeah. paid money right. for, that you slaved to pay back you for. Wonder, and yeah, you wonder why yeah, they are the scourge of, of – of, they are – 
they're know, the erasing the erasing of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the National Constitution Center writes. Um, it's a good article. Yeah, seven methods of constitutional interpretation. In other words, we've spread now to text. A judge looks to the meaning of the words in the Constitution, relying on common understandings of the word. So this National Constitution Center, at point number one in interpretation, leaves originalism. Mm -hmm. It's not even there. Uh, history, a judge looks at the historical context. Tradition, it looks to any laws, customs, or practices established after the framing or ratification of a given provision. Precedent, a judge applies rules established by precedent. In other words, if someone made a mistake, we can use that as precedent. <laughs> Structure, a judge infers structural rules, power relationships between institutions, for instance. So now relational, structural institutes. Prudence and consequences, natural law and morality. So if you go to law school today, even if you just take a pre-law class because you're going into law enforcement or something of that nature, then you're learning seven methods of constitutional interpretation that do not include originalism mm. as even Judge Bork, who was nominated for the Supreme Court back right. in the 80s and 90s by none other than Ronald Reagan, uh, said was going on. And it's interesting that um, they, they list uh, here several amendments, changes in American culture brought about by governmental policies. The number one thing they bring up is the Voting Rights Act. When the Civil War ended, leaders turned to questions how to rebuild the nation. A major issue was the right to vote. Foremost were the rights of African Americans and former Confederate men. Congress passed several acts that were designed to address the question of rights. These acts included forming the Freedman's Bureau and the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Congress also passed two amendments to the Constitution. The 14th Amendment made African American citizens while protecting uh, citizens from discriminatory state laws. Southern states were to ratify this amendment before being readmitted to the Union. Hmm. Before we, so that's not even the amendment process. Mm. So that's why people say something's wrong with the, with the 14th Amendment. Forget the black and white issue. It was just a procedural issue. And then the 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution ratified in 1870 stated that the rights of citizens of the United States to vote should not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, previous condition of servitude. This amendment was the last of the Reconstruction Amendments and was concerned with providing voting rights to freed men. Now, I'm not opposed to strengthening or clarifying, at that point in time, we needed to clarify voting rights, right? right? <coughs> Particularly, and, and not just from <coughs> former slaves, were they citizens, did they get to vote or not, mm -hmm. black men based on their race, and former um, you know, Confederate soldiers or whatever. So that probably needed to be clarified, but the process um, stepped out of the constitutional process mm -hmm. for that. But it's interesting because the Constitution goes at lengths to clarify who gets to vote, it's our. It's incumbent upon us to then verify who is voting. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to. You know. Right. So we're just, no, it's a constitutional mandate. Yeah. Yeah. Of of identity. Right. Yeah, of, who of, are you? Are you? Do you fit the qualification of what the Constitution says? So, you know, culture actually um, changes uh, what what's going on there. So, I also want to talk about the Michigan Law Review, reputable repository of, of law. They have uh, an article entitled The Constitution's Accommodation of Social Change. The abstract, I'll have to get my glasses to read the abstract Woo. here, says, uh, did the framers and ratifiers of the United States Constitution think that the changes in American society would require changes in the text or interpretation of the Constitution? If those who created the Constitution understood or even anticipated the possibility of major social alterations, how do they expect constitutional law, text, and interpretation to accommodate such developments? 
The effect of social change upon constitutional law was an issue the framers and ratifiers frequently discussed. For example, when anti-federalists complained of the Constitution's failure to protect the jury trial in civil cases, federalists responded that a change of circumstances might, in some instances, render the current form of jury trial inappropriate and obsolete. So apparently they knew that based upon cultural changes, that interpretation and process could possibly change as well. And they discussed that between the Federalist and mm -hmm. the Anti-Federalist papers. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is, not, this is not a new thing, and it's a good discussion. Mm -hmm. It's a good discussion. Then how do we interpret? It's always there, but up until post-World War II, everybody always said original intent. Mm -hmm. What is original intent as, as we get there? What did they think about that? And they would go to the Federalist papers and the Anti-Federalist writings, and they would try to find something about that because even their original intent was a little bit different from each other. Mm -hmm. So... So that's that's um, that's legit, but the cultural changes have uh, have have been a, a form of evolution, right? In in all of that. Uh, here is um, the Democracy Journal um, website, which, by the way, is very leftist. <laughs> uh, but they have a symposium on the Democracy Constitution, the new Constitution for the United States, and and basically they actually write a new constitution. And here is uh, their Bill of Rights, Article 1. All humans are social and political beings who can flourish only under conditions of advanced democracy. To this end, advanced democracy, they say, which is basically their version, right? To this end, they are entitled to the full range of democratic freedoms and rights consistent with human dignity. Um, you know, they bring in human dignity. Well, what's the definition of that? What's original intent of that concern? including the right to an education, personal autonomy, freedom of expression, assembly in the press, the right to dignified labor, and the right to health, safety, and community. Um, mm -hmm. You know what's missing? Religion. Freedom or religion, right. which is really the freedom to think. Yeah. Um, and the freedom of conscience. Absolutely. So anyways, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it is absolutely amazing on citizenship and, e and equality. Um, so their Bill of Rights forfeits... The first well, race. they get to Section 3 and talk about freedom of religion, press, assembly, and petition more specifically. Um, but then privacy and family life. So basically the government, they're shielded personally from the government. So this is a utopian world, basically, uh, in the Constitution that they write. But it's interesting to see that they've already thought through it, and they've already got a new Constitution that's on, on the table. So some people just want to reinterpret the Constitution. Some people want to change the Constitution based upon the evolution of, of uh, culture. But, but thirdly, then, there's what I call the reinvention of the government contract. And this is not even taking the Constitution and culturally evolving it. This is like, let's put something new altogether. Mm -hmm. Let's have a new constitutional convention with now the multicultural society. In other words, we started off and we weren't multicultural. And then we, we had multiculturalism because we had not just Christian Brits, right? But now we were European. And then we became multicultural. And so now we're a multicultural society and we need to have a new constitution based upon did, that. Did, just let me go back here. Yeah. Did, did you read the Democracy Journal all the way to the Article II Congress? Read it. Organization of Congress? Yeah. There shall be a Congress of the United States which shall consist of three chambers, House of Representatives, a Senate, and a Council of Indigenous Nations. Yes, that's that's good. That's good because we we don't want to be represented with the rest of you when we and listen. That's identity politics that right, we we right. want. 
But, you know, then we're going to say, what is indigenous nations? Right. What is that? You know? Right. No. Yeah. How how is that defined? And then, but how are those three equal entities? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There, well, there's well, a, there's they not are parallelism. They're checks and balances. on. Right. In other words, so America can do this, but they can't pass anything unless it passes us. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. There's not there's not parallelism. So Mother Earth so, is going to have her. Say. So so a, <laughs> so a House of Representatives is a electoral is an election process of how you're elect, how people are selected via population. Right. Right. And then that Senate is elected representatives based on political boundaries. Right? right. So the map determines right. the Senate. Right. The population determines the, Repu- the, the House of Representatives. Right. But, so but, that both interests. But then, but then what identity re- is going to. Yeah. But yeah. yeah the, what determines yeah. the Council of well, Indigenous if you had, Nations. If you, can, if you can prove that one indigenous person, whatever that means, was a homosexual. Right. Then you're going to have. But then how are they already represented in the House of Representatives and in the Senate? Right. It, it just doesn't make sense. Right. And, and listen, I'm not I'm not I'm not sliding. Native Americans. Right. I'm not. I'm just saying. When you look at the logic of that, it's the same as you could have said. We'll, we'll have three chambers: the House of Representatives, Senate, and Buckeye fans. Right. <laughs> Which then I'm leaving. No, oh, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I mean, that's going that's back, the same equivalent. Going back to Texas. That's the same yeah. equivalent there. <laughs> Governing.com, um, probably a little more conservative, but. Uh, they have an article, is it time for a new constitutional convention as the country rapidly approaches its 250th birthday? I mean, we're there, right? It's not too early to define how it will be marked. Our resident humanities scholars wants to return to the Jefferson idea of rewriting the Constitution, one that is for and by all Americans. And um, so basically, that's, that's what, two years away, three years away? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they want, they want the 250th anniversary to be celebrated by a new constitutional convention. So... All these ideas are coming to fruition, and I think we're going to see, you know, promotions of of this as we get to that celebration. So let's start talking about it and start celebrating original intent and identifying why it's important and, and who used to talk about it, how that could make us work in the future. And, of course, it has to we have to reject the idea of multiculturalism. Basically, you come to the United States, you become an American. Right. Yeah, I just read recently Floyd Mayweather said, that I'm not a I'm not an African American, he said I'm an American. Yeah. I mean, and Floyd's not a uh, godly Christian guy, you know. Floyd he, Money Mayweather. No, I mean, you know, <laughs> the guy, and he spends the money at strip clubs right, and all this right. other kind of stuff. But he's basically, you know, been tried to take advantage of by black political figures. Yeah. And said no to that, and then in in saying no to that, say you know I'm a man, I'm I'm not a champ because I'm black. I'm a champ because I'm the best fighter. Right. Right. And I'm not, I don't have all this money. Because I'm black, I have all this money because I've done well with money. Right, and and, and only in America. And only in America can right. I get in a ring and become a millionaire. And so and so he kind of likes this idea, which is I think why Trump resonates more with African Americans than than previously quote unquote white or conservative presidents were, is because he says to them, not I'm just going to give you more welfare. Uh, trust me, I'm going to take care of you. He says, hey, I'm going to I'm going to make a, a playing field where you can get rich. Yeah. Right. You've got to do that yourselves. And I think a lot of people are like, yes, just give me a chance, man. I'll go do it. You know, and uh, and so that that rings with them. Then the Atlantic magazine, which is basically Harvard, Mm -hmm. it's Harvard folks. Right. They say the U.S. needs a new constitution. Here's how to write it. Let's face it. What worked well for 224 years ago is no longer the best we can do. And so so the, the reason we're talking about the next America is because. 
that's in the bullpen warming up. And the 250th anniversary of the United States is going to be when the pitcher comes out to the mound and everyone is celebrating. And they're not going to try to do this in a negative way. They're going to try to do this in a positive way. They're going to come out wearing the flag, stars and stripes. They're going to come out celebrating 250 years and yet at the same time couch it in the language of now's the time, let's rewrite this thing, and let's have a new constitutional convention, and let's include everybody. And they're going to take the Constitution, and they're going to say, look, this is just, you know, we got the King James Bible, but now we're going to have the revised Bible. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes the blood, so let's take out the blood, right? Nobody really believes in the resurrection. Let's take out the resurrection. But we still have the Bible, and we still have Jesus, just without the blood and the resurrection. And, um, and that's why we say, you know, you can't, you can't uh, reinterpret it or have a committee that's going to come together and, you know, retranslate uh, that. And, I mean, we hold the Constitution as almost a sacred document as mm -hmm. well, but it's just, it's just foolish to think that we're going to reset our governance into modernity. Now, I, I, I think modernity has some problems. Mm -hmm. We live in a society that's digital. All information is known. There is no problem. And there's things that could not have been foreseen. Can original intent and the Constitution still do that? Mm -hmm. And that's what we should be looking at and coming up with the argument so that when the debate comes, we can put together the good debate team that comes mm -hmm. out and says, hey, you know, we hear what you're saying. We understand there's problems. But let's, let's say what original intent is and how well it's done. Is, these, do we, is this going to help us another 250 years? Because if not, let's, let's stick with this and with the potential problems and try to come up with necessary changes. So, you know, the Constitution was written to, in the context or to shed the hand of tyranny. Mm -hmm. So it w the tyranny helped them very much clarify. The Absolutely. pain of tyranny helped them clarify mm -hmm. what it was that they were writing. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to rewrite the Constitution, we have to first identify what is the tyranny in which we are trying to escape. Right. And that's the part, the question that no one wants to answer. Yeah. Because if you get down to the, if you boil it all the way down, mm -hmm. what they would say, well, we want to get away from the tyranny of um, the 1776. Bible, right? The tyranny, <laughs> the, the tyranny right. of the Bible, and so the tyranny, that, that should be or our, the tyranny, uh, the tyranny of the influence of white evangelical males. Yeah, there you go. And that should be the the proposition, and the pro that proposition on the debate team should be made by a bunch of Hispanic and, and black right. Americans who say no. It should be made by, uh, you know, uh, black justices. It should be made by Thomas Sowell, you know, Harvard professors. It should be. It should be made in that way. So let, let's make the proposition of what, what tyranny are we trying to escape or change? Right. You know? And if it's, is it just modernity? Because if that's what your debate team says, then we're going to hold you to that in the debate. Right. You know? But as soon as you make some whiff of identity, then we're going to say, okay, you know, then where else in the world can you find a document that, that you can say helps your identity? Right. None except for here. You know? Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I think that's brilliant. I, I think that's brilliant. We should definitely, that should be a Bible Nation article yeah. that, you know, that you should write, that we should put on there. And that should be the proposition of our debate team. So, you know, final thoughts are this, that traditionally, traditionally, I think we should revert back to original intent, what Justice Bork said. Mm -hmm. David Barton's got his book on original intent, mm -hmm. which is crystal clear. Yeah. Right? And, and so you can attack David Barton for, some opinion that he wrote in some book that somebody doesn't like or thinks is, is not right. But the fact of the matter is the book Original Intent, just, you know, read it. It's probably too many pages for you, you know. Mm -hmm. But, um, and most of the authors of the Constitution actually had some sort of what you might call a commentary on what their arguments were on the very wordings. Oh, yeah. Well, so and, and they had um, Blackstone's legal yeah. uh, commentary. Yes. 
That's what they all refer to. Right. And so there was a mutual understanding. And one of no, the actually Blackstone kind of was the glossary. Yeah. Like the word that we're using here, we're all going to we're, we are all going to agree upon its definition because of this appendix. And and every the whole all the words of the Declaration of Independence and, and the Constitution itself, you can find in previous writings of the day. Oh yeah. John Locke or oh, whatever. Yeah. And so you can find what the meaning was. And and one of the things that even the 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 writers and the framers said was and they understood the idea of original intent. So they said, almost looking forward in the future, they said, you know, really it's it's original intent, but it's also how everyone would receive it. Mm-hmm. What was the original reception by the people? Mm-hmm. So they realized we can have a tent, but that could be duplicitous in how we write it down. And we would argue about those things, but how do we then put it out there so that it's received by everybody? If this person receives it, maybe they have a certain intent. This person receives it, maybe they have a certain intent. So where there was ambiguity, right, they, their intents were all satisfied. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the widest you could get with interpretation. Right. Today, even so-called conservatives are entertaining ideas of advancing society by strongman tactics in order to save the republic. In other words, let's elect Mr. Trump. Let's give him all power. Let's let him use the, the um, U.S. military inside the borders to get out everybody that we don't want. I mean, it sounds good you know, because it's easy, right? Mm-hmm. And let's you know, get everybody back across the border and let's, reass- let's, let's make everybody re-sign, every state re-sign the Electoral College or re-sign the the new interpretive constitution, mm-hmm. which that's how the 14th and 15th Amendment comes out. Mm-hmm. And we're not for that at all. That's mm-hmm. why we say those are questionable documents because they weren't done in constitutional process. Um, and so, you know, white Christian nationalism, uh, I would challenge as being authentically biblically Christian, mm-hmm. you know, in, in its doctrine, its practice. It, it might be patriotic to some extent, but is it really? Because if it's willing to undermine the Constitution, that I would say it's not. It, it might have a historical precedent, but it had a historical precedent because in history, it most closely, al- it closely aligned with these biblical ideas. Sure. But that's it. That's it. I mean, it, it, it's more like a, a descriptive. It, it wasn't their whiteness right. that made them right. Right. It was biblicalness right. that made them right. Yes. And so even when a white person leaves biblical correctness, yeah. they're wrong. Well, and, and I mean, a, a real Christian would would believe, a real biblical Christian would believe in soul liberty. Yeah. And so therefore, to be a part of our country government, you don't have to put your hand on a Bible. Right. You don't have to say, I believe in the Bible. And so I think real Christians would even say, you know, no, that's not citizenship. I mean, we can't force a phony declaration of Christianity oh, right. upon anybody right. either. And so, you know, that the quote-unquote white Christian nationalism Undermines the scripture and undermines soul liberty to some extent in that regard as well, making, you know, you can't run for office unless. Right. You know, sort of thing. So the libertarian uh, middle ground proposes to alter the Constitution legally, not by violence. So the right actually is saying, let's have strongman tactics. Mm-hmm. The libertarian in the middle is saying, let's, let's alter the Constitution um, legally. But then the left is, is saying, let's celebrate the 250th anniversary, have a new constitutional convention, right. and you know, let's write it all together. So all these ideas are out there, but the problem is, is that somebody could unify all these by some sort of you know, mutual agreement that would basically undermine the Constitution. Right. So are we at the end of the United States if, we, if we're at the end of the Constitution? Is there a next America 
And what is that? I'm not saying it still won't be better than anything else or that I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm just saying, to me, this is dangerous. We ought oh, to yeah. be a part of it and prepared for it. Matthew 12, 25, the Bible says, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against it itself shall not stand. Now, people would say, well, that's dealing with Israel. But at the same time, you know, Israel was not really a nation <laughs> at that point in time when he was talking about it. And the truth can be placed on any nation, I think. And we're becoming more a house divided against itself mm-hmm. for multicultural perspectives, at least three constitutional realignment concepts, a left and right that the vitriol is basically, you know, every election season, let's riot, mm-hmm. let's burn, let's shoot. You, you know, thinking about and what, going on what Jesus says there in Matthew twelve twenty five, and, you know, I know we're trying to land this. Yeah is the Constitution was the product of strong minds coming into agreement. Mm -hmm. So the Constitution is a national agreement. Mm -hmm. All of us agree. We all say whatever our perspectives may be, our predispositions, our preferences, we're going to agree to this. Yes. This is the document that brings us all together. Yes. Therefore, if there was to be a change, Mm -hmm. a a new document, Mm -hmm. It would have to be a document that is agreed upon by all the strong minds. Right. And so, but that's not what they're proposing. No. They're, they're proposing a, a document that, that divides or that uh, removes from the seat of influence a whole segment of thinking in this nation. Yeah, it, it's that, erasing the past. And that's what makes it dangerous. Yeah. What makes it dangerous is it's going to isolate a whole realm of thought, mm-hmm. a whole section of America. And, mm-hmm. and of course, that is that is the recipe for civil war. Yes. Two-thirds of the United to States... To disenfranchise yeah. by a rewrite of the Constitution, a whole segment of America, mm-hmm. the middle of America, mm-hmm. is it, just that the, the only intent in that has to ultimately be we want war. Well, and, and the thoughts behind it is if you're 14% the Hispanic population, which is mostly Catholic and Christian, um, 13% black population, which is mostly you know Christian, um, 67% is really still white, and 50% uh, of that is still Christian. Uh, they say upwards of 14% of the population is now atheist or other, a mix, a mix of all those kinds of things. But what, what, what I'm saying is the majority of the, of the population is still Christian. Mm-hmm. It's majority still white mm-hmm. that gets along with Mexicans and agrees with them, gets along with black folks and agree with them. And the, and the majority would still say, let's keep the Constitution as it is, why do people want to come to this country? Not because they want to change the Constitution, but because the Constitution has they made the best they, bed for them. They, they want what it has to offer. They want what it has to offer. And so, but if you, if you allow a multicultural agreement that does any of these things that we're talking about, then you disproportionately give away power, put power in a minority's hands right. that want to erase you. Kind of like we previously talked about Hamas wanting to, you know, obliterate right. Israel from the map, from right. the river to the sea sort of thing. And, uh, and we open ourselves up for that. And so um, this is in play. The discussion uh, has been there, but it's becoming stronger. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what amazes me is that even the conservative right, um, the MAGA has been a prepared audience for something like this as well. And so we're not just arguing against socialist leftists. We're not just trying to be reasonable with centrist libertarians. We're trying to deal with folks that are, to some extent, in our own camp, mm-hmm. rightists, you know, whatever. 
Um, and so, for one, I'm going to work against this. I'm going to work as an original intent guy. I'm going to work uh, in, in debates to try to, to do this, and, and maybe we'll get through this as it comes down the next um, three or four years. I think it, it probably is good to listen and identify where potential new amendments could be made mm -hmm. because we are in modernity, and there are new things that perhaps need to be dealt with, but the Constitution gives a mechanism right. for order and change. Right. And, um, and so therefore, you know, the Michigan Constitution, like the n first point is no death penalty. And, uh, you know, so some people would say, well, that can never be changed because that's the first in the Constitution. No, well, we have an amendment process. Mm -hmm. And so we, could ch we can have the death penalty in the right. state of Michigan if we wanted to, you know. Right, and, 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 the, and the amendment processes were built in there to safeguard that a whole section could a whole group or it, it was it's supposed to be hard yeah it's supposed to be difficult a minority can't change everybody right it's supposed to be, and that's what we were talking about earlier at the beginning of this conversation about the judicial process mm -hmm. and why why do they attack the judges or why do they attack the, the judiciary mm -hmm. it's because it's efficient mm -hmm. and effective I mean, it's quick yeah i don't i don't I don't have to change a lot of votes. I have to change one guy. Yeah. And with the with the right of a pen, he can change a lot of things. Yeah. And so. And this one, whoever's the president, is important because they nominate the Supreme Court. Yeah. You know, right now, and I guess to some extent we're fortunate. But this same conservative Supreme Court gave gay civil rights, made it made mm -hmm. it law. You know, not necessarily an amendment, but an an amendment could come by that just says we're going to take away tax exempt status from all religious institutions. And now you're going to pay, you know, taxes. And so we're like every other nation in the world then where we have to, you know, pay tax status, which wouldn't be, you know, going to the dungeon for Christianity, but it would it would change how America functions. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't have a little family church anymore. This wouldn't have wouldn't happen. Um, so, hey, let's be grateful for the Constitution. Let's read it. Let's understand it. Let's listen for what are valid points and let's listen to what the points that aren't valid that are being spoken and let's put together the debate that can meet all those points. And I think the proposition that you brought up, you know, has to be in the in the opening arguments mm -hmm. of, of what's going on. So I'll give you I'll give you final thoughts today. Well, that's yeah. good. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I was as we we're reading this. Yeah. I was kind of impressed again. Yeah. Two hundred and fifty years. And, uh, you know, we need to celebrate that. Mm -hmm. um, but then also in the pantheon of nations, we are such a baby. We are, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. You look at the Roman Empire, still going, right? <laughs> you know, you have, I mean, just where you look at the Persian Empire, the Ottomans. I mean, they're still alive, trying to make things work. Well, and I'm teaching a class yeah. in in our pastor's college on on the exile prophets and yeah. God's judgment of the nations for their actions against Israel, mm -hmm. and how some of them He determines to obliterate them, but some of them He determines to leave them around for His purposes. Yeah. So you think like a nation like Egypt? Yeah. I mean, Egypt is Egypt of the pharaohs. Yeah. You know, what I mean, yeah. that's the same. Yeah. It's been on that piece of dirt, that yeah. piece of sand, all of these times. And, the, the, you know, that's old. Yeah. I mean, that's four or 5,000 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, God bless America. Yeah. We, got, we got to thank God. We got to pray for God. We got to do our, our best. As long as there's a remnant, he could bless. But at the same time, I think God does have to bring some some kinds of judgment. And there's no promise that a nation divided itself won't become desolate. Right. And so that Christ's words, you know, might be something that we're facing. And so. We, we might have a disaster in America, but then we as Christians have to say, what's, the ne what's next? Right. What, can we still have some unanimity, whether it be regional or national or statewide or local? Can, we still, can the local church still function with good governance of ourselves and be a betterment right. to society? Because that, that happened. God gave us that 250 right. years ago. You know, 
I don't want to think about that as mm -hmm. what's next. But when the time comes, hopefully we'll be we'll have our kids prepared for the next generation to be able to be judges and presidents, mm -hmm. governors and things like that. That's why we believe in Christian education mm -hmm. in the home, um, because as, as long as we do get some form of election, when we don't get some form of election, then then all that's left is Oliver Cromwell. And um, we'll talk about that on a podcast in the future. Mm. <laughs> all stuff. right, folks, thanks for tuning in to the Bible Nation podcast. BibleNation.org will give you all kinds of information and uh, tools for your fight in the culture wars. Remember, the best culture is a Bible culture. It's proven and it works.